0: hello everybody and welcome to uh, workflow Wednesday and just um, a bit of a bit of a crowd in here for today we have uh, Kelly we've got sir Wade nightstat and my boss wheres it over there uh, Eric Brown our marketing director uh, so welcome that. everyone <laughs> I hope everybody's having a good day and uh, um, yeah so let's just uh, we we'll just get get started I guess um, go so Sir, I, I'm used to saying like Mister, but I suppose Sir is the appropriate title this time. So go ahead and introduce yourself. What it is you do? What you, um, who you are? What you do? Just in case anybody doesn't already know, uh, and then we'll go from there.
1: Hello.
2: <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> Hello. Uh, hi everybody. I'm Sir Wade, uh, and yeah, Sir is my legal first name in case anyone's oh, ever wondering. Okay. <laughs> yeah, everyone thinks it's like a YouTube thing that I'm like, yes, yeah, Sir Wade. Like, no, my parents are just funny so (laughs) that's
0: cool so like you're i thought i thought for sure you
2: were knighted like that's the goal if i become sir sir that's sir sir (laughs) i actually googled it like like is it possible i think the best i can do as a u.s citizen is a duke sir but oh okay um well sorry i didn't think the camera would be so low so now it's just weird that's my wife Jess. jess She's come to get I, a camera battery. I, I, yeah, both of the
3: camera batteries
2: I had were dead. I'm trying to close
3: the
0: video. So sorry to interrupt. I, I, I just saw my, party, I, I, I I, thought we were in the ring or yeah, something. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I'm I like so live content
2: so much. Oh, it's it's always fun here. It's <laughs> always a great time. There's also a cat off screen. Anyways, hi, I'm Sir Wade. And <laughs> um, I, I do uh, character animation. So I'm a 3D character <laughs> animator and visual effects artist. This is my wife, Jess. Oh, She's also a YouTuber, so we both do YouTube. Uh, about different things, and uh, my my whole thing on online is to create educational content that's hopefully entertaining and inspiring in some ways to uh, help aspiring artists achieve what it is they want to do. Mostly geared towards the animation industry, but you know it's a big industry, so do whatever. Cool,
0: right on. That's great. I was actually just watching um, you're looking at a character rig for the Miles Morales. Um, I'd only just got into the little bit of it before I had to start putting all this stuff together, but it was really cool looking. Cause I, I absolutely love that movie. That's probably one of the best Spider-Man movies that's ever been made. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, good. so That's pretty cool. So, um, actually I'm going to kind of take a little bit of a step back because, um, I feel like, uh, Kelly here is, is probably the closest to, uh, what, you, what you do here at Puget systems. And, um, so I, I, f- I feel like maybe he might have some of the better questions to ask, and then I'll I'll just kind of handle chat and and fill in uh, where we can. So K- Kelly, do you do you have anything you uh, want to start off with? Um, just to put you on the spot like that?
1: Yeah. <laughs> well,
3: actually, like I feel like, a, I, feel like a, I feel like a better place to start might be to kind of talk about a little bit about like how how you made that journey that you have. Oh, sure. Um, because, you know, you've, you've talked about, you know, that you you, know, you worked at, at DreamWorks there and then now you're doing this uh, tutorial content. Like, how did you get from E to B there?
2: That's a good point. Um, a good, yeah, good, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I actually started off as a computer science major in college. That's what I, I've, I've always been techie, but I didn't know animation was a job you could do, but I'd always been doing video projects over the years. I grew up in an area, Apple Valley, California, middle of nowhere, desert between Las Vegas and Los Angeles. So there was really no, you know, I didn't know about any of that stuff. So I went to school for computer science and then discovered that you don't you can do creative stuff and make movies and all that good stuff. So I, I took an online animation school, I went to animation mentor, and learned how to animate, and then I had done a bunch of other like my my family's all teachers. So that helped me to get a training job at DreamWorks. When I finished animation Mentor, I had the animation side and the training side from just being around teachers my whole life. And I worked at DreamWorks for two years as a trainer, teaching 50 something classes, all the different software. I was the main like Maya guy, all the Adobe software, um, bunch of other proprietary tools that aren't useful to me anymore, but a of cool stuff, learned a million things. And um, I've never said that phrase before, learned a million things, but learned a lot. <laughs> and then, when, I, but when I was starting animation and I was just kind of learning how to do it, and before I went to Animation Mentor, I remember I was looking up like YouTube stuff and I was looking at videos and at the time there was absolutely nothing. And I don't, I don't mean like, there wasn't much good stuff. Like there was literally nothing out there resource wise for animators to like learn on their own. It was all interviews of like these Disney, like these old people who worked and like, I got hired to Disney like back million. Like, you know, it was just like, I, I called them cause I had seen the computer before and they gave me a job. And I was like, that's not helpful. That, that does not help us anymore. So at the time I thought, well, someone should probably get on that. And i'm like well maybe i should just do it yeah so that's kind of how that came to be once i was at dreamworks i'm like you know i really should have been making videos this whole time i should probably start that now (laughs) cool that's kind of the gist when i left dreamworks it was because i saw that opportunity is like i should i should pursue this. this this sounds like a fun like purpose thing to do and also just figured like before i get the animation job at dreamworks may as well you know, go explore other uh, possibilities and there's so much cool stuff coming out now. I didn't, I didn't want to be just f- super focused on like, I'm just going to work in a studio. Like I do want to do that, but there's more that I wanted to explore. So
3: yeah. What have, uh, would have been some of the kind of the biggest hurdles I guess that you've faced, uh, since like creating this tutorial content.
2: Part of it was. I guess from a tutorial standpoint is like, making it interesting. I feel like tutorials are also often like, welcome to this software today. We're gonna do, and it's like faceless. You never see the person, like you just hear this like voice, just the voice of God. Click that button. And it's not very interesting. Uh, So trying to reinvent tutorials to make them a little bit more engaging was one of the big challenges. But aside from that, trying to come up with creative videos that like people who are just starting out versus people who have been in the industry for a while and trying to make content that kind of appeals to anybody, that's always been tricky.
0: Hmm. That's pretty cool. Hold on. Um, I'm going to have to be a little quiet. It looks like our YouTube side of things is broken, so I'm going to try and fix that. <laughs> so I'm going to have, I'm, unfortunately, I'm going to have to let you guys uh, handle things for just a moment while I figure this out.
3: Yeah, I mean, Kelly, um, for, for the people that aren't familiar, I mean, it might make sense to also talk a little bit about uh, your background.
1: Sure. <laughs> Scared my dog. Yeah. Uh, um... <laughs> So I'm Kelly, I'm the, uh, I guess, 3D content creation, game development uh, labs technician at Puget. So I'll be creating benchmarks for uh, I'm currently working on 3ds Max and Maya, and then I'll be doing some Unreal and all those, pretty much anything used in that space, I'll eventually get to. Um, background is uh, worked in the game industry for several years, um, Did quality assurance for several years did environment art for a while and then kind of looked for a a way to work in the field but not in the field <laughs> if that makes any sense i got tired of the the contract work and the ups and downs of the game industry so so i ended up here
3: <laughs> now, and uh and how did you like what was your um experience and, and kind of learning and getting and getting into that space like did you go through formal training like um uh like did you go through formal training or did you kind of go through like a similar process of of Sir wade here where like you're kind of um figuring all this stuff out kind of on your own
1: i started with a formal training um it so it was a school up in everett washington that um did they mainly focused on the film industry and so at the time this was long time ago. Uh, so at the time they used, um, soft image XSI, um, which is now ex- extinct. It doesn't exist anymore. Um, also purchased by Autodesk, but then they decided that they didn't need Maya, Max and XSI all doing the exact same thing. So they just have Max and Maya doing the exact same thing now. <laughs> um, so I had a formal training there that focused more on traditional skills. So I did like my um, first animation class was all 2D animation, like hand-drawn 2D animation. Did that for a while, and then we eventually started doing computers, like the third year of college. This was a full four-year program. Um, but then, by the time we graduated, everyone kind of realized that it wasn't—it wasn't a great education. It really kind of taught didn't teach you very well to what the current standard was and to kind of prove that point the school closed a quarter after I graduated like just shut down went bankrupt lost everything so that tells you (laughs) that it wasn't it wasn't a great education so after that yeah it was it was all me um after that then I started doing more informal training like learning online and kind of figuring things out Um, did another round of semi-formal training there was a um, a guy up here that worked for arena net and he started his own school because he was teaching out of um, a community college and was like all these education programs for game art are just terrible so he started a school that's just like okay it's six months and we're just going to teach you like the actual skills you need and then you kind of go from there. And so I did that as my second round of education and that helped me. And that's where I got actual work experience from, or got an actual job after that.
3: Yeah. I'm kind of curious. Um, so like to context around, like some of the work that, uh, that Kelly's doing right now, like he's, he's currently putting benchmarks together for both, uh, 3ds max and Maya. And so survey so I'm super interested in, in your thoughts of like, what, what are some of the biggest pain points that people are experiencing right now? Maybe you said you have more experience on the Maya side. Uh, mm-hmm. So maybe, like, what are the biggest pain points people are experiencing in Maya right now uh, that we might be able to, uh, like, kind of cater our benchmark to um, to kind of expose, like, what it is that, uh, that people could be doing to get more out of their hardware for, like, this specific use case?
2: Well, it'd be cool. So I guess it depends on, like, modeling versus animation versus blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. But, like especially for the animators, I feel like some of the biggest issues are, I think the everyday one that everyone deals with is like viewport stuff. Mm-hmm. First of all, people don't usually know like what settings to play with. People are always where they're gonna break Maya in my experience of like, which things can you mess with and what can be reset to default <laughs> if you break it? But uh, aside from that, um, just character manipulation, deformation, moving, you taking controls and adjusting and then having that thing where like, you take a thing and you move it, it you wait and you wait and it goes and then it moves and you're like oh too far and then you've that process is the worst Mm -hmm. so um knowing what hardware to upgrade to not have that is probably the the (laughs) most important thing um and then beyond that i think just a smooth playback you know if you're manipulating stuff in real time while you're working versus then trying to preview your animation at 24 fps and then or 30 if you're doing games and, and making sure that that it looks the way you expect and not having to sit there and play blast and wait and play blast and get that video file and depending on your codec then having to go encode it like ugh, bleh. yeah
1: do you find that is more impacted by um like the the poly count in the scene or um effects in the
2: scene or what do you think is
0: usually causing the, the slowdowns?
2: the rigs because yeah because even even like beginner students who only have like a pretty rudimentary rig in their shot and they don't have a scene, they don't have like They're set to proxy, you know, they still have have low LUR, or low uh, poly counts, but like blend shapes and heavier rig files where there's just more data inside the rig. It's trying to calculate on that end. I don't fully know exactly like what it is in the rig that's doing that, except I know blend shapes is a piece of it. Um, That usually seems to make a big, pretty big impact. Okay.
1: Yeah. The the straight animation side is a little, outside of my comfort zone it's gonna be a lot of learning there because like I said I was an environment artist so did a lot of heavy modeling high poly stuff all that kind of stuff but actually trying to move a character man in school that was I don't know how animators
2: do it (laughs) it's like a whole new (laughs) skill set high poly stuff's crazy whenever I see like environments or like anything someone's like I'm sculpting in zbrush I'm just like yeah. Glad you're doing it because that scares me. <laughs> it right. looks amazing, but I I don't have that skill set.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's one thing that I found interesting in the Unreal Five demo that I kind of mm-hmm. wanted to get a animator's perspective on. They talked about importing a 33 million triangle um statue basically, but it could have been a character, and just using that directly in the engine. But that's not something you would ever want to animate. Correct. Like never. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, how do you see that working? (laughs) What do you see workflow being there?
2: Well, hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully people are kind to everyone else in their pipeline (laughs) when they make these choices. But I feel like the, the pro and the con of when that sentence came out for me was the good side was like, Ooh, like we can, we can have all the fidelity and all the like, we can have cinematic quality animation in, mm-hmm. you know, like those moments where the camera gets up close and she's kind of shimming through the, the crawl space or whatever, like that's not mm-hmm. a cutscene, but we can have some really, really interesting animation choices where we probably couldn't before because of that new, whatever it is they're giving us. But yeah, it's, you know, hopefully, hopefully they ha- have people on the team who really understand that artist perspective of cool, make that model, rig it, in a way that's not gonna make my computer explode. Right. I have heard really interesting, like not horror stories, but really interesting stories about like, but, yeah, it's, I guess know, like, like uh, hopefully, hopefully different studios have, when they're working on certain characters, like the Transformers characters, there's mm-hmm. there's this great story that uh, Sean Kelly told, told us, uh, he's an animator at ILM, and he shared this thing of how one of the Transformers, I forget the name of them, the Destroyer or something. It's the one that like connects to a bunch of other Parts of like other transformers, and then starts like inhaling the pyramids or whatever. I don't know. Okay, yeah. That giant transformer was so ridiculous. It some someone wrote a script to help like rig it properly, and that script and that rig melted the motherboard of the computer they were working on. <laughs> no way. Like actually fried it. Smoke yeah. everything. <laughs> so that was like a thing. Like the transformer he destroyed it. <laughs> yeah. Came to life. So let's let's not do that. that no. <laughs> Oh, are we back
1: right,
0: on Houston? yeah well we're good on youtube except now i'm being told that i didn't update the titles on any of the other channels and so now congratulations everybody thinks we're at live uh, the labs open office hour instead of workflow wednesday <laughs> just, well just that's all you more, kelly it's just on you just, right. just one more thing for me to stress out about but no everybody all the channels are live now everybody on youtube and twitch and, and everywhere else is we're good, but nice now I'm you. updating titles. So, but <laughs> man, it's it is uh, it is crazy to hear that like like some of the some of the stuff we hear from um, like say corridor where they'll get a an upgrade to hardware and it it kind of opens up new opportunities for them, but to kind of hear that. There are people out there who are pushing their limited hardware to such a point that it actually, like, explodes.
3: (laughs) It's pretty cool. Um, Yeah, that that triples downstream to the question of, okay, yes, you can, but should you?
0: Right?
3: (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, that's
0: still pretty remarkable, though, to to hear that that people are are trying to push. You know, you, you hear the cliche of, like, oh, people pushing the envelope and, like, you know, bleeding edge, this and that. But, like, to actually hear people literally pushing it to the to the extreme to of to the point of failure is is pretty cool in my mind i think that's that's awesome getting every little bit of of performance you possibly can until it breaks
2: that's awesome yeah
3: i'm sure at the time they weren't exactly saying oh this
2: is cool (laughs) the artists were i think the studio executive whoever makes the purchasing decisions probably not happy but the artists were like whoa we
3: did it look at that
1: yeah Yeah, i've been about that for years to come (laughs)
3: <laughs> oh,
1: oh, yeah. Hey, we're talking about it. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right. boop, boop. So then I guess, sir, uh, what, what was your experience? So a lot of people are, you did this intentionally moving from a studio to working from home. And now a lot of people are unintentionally having that same uh, experience. What were the like hardware um changes that you felt were the biggest things for you're at a studio you probably have access to crazy hardware and now you're at home trying to make the same quality but with whatever you have um what kind of things would you recommend people look at or sure. what's the experience there
2: well get a monitor that's bright enough that you can you get a tan by turning it up uh <laughs> with some sun no um yeah, it it depends, I guess, to the different facets of what I'm doing. There's like the animation side where I'm creating animation. There's visual effects, which is a slightly different workflow. And then there's the content creation side of what I do. And all of those require slightly different components that luckily my PC will do all of beautifully. Um, but in general, I think you know if you're working in 3D software, Having a good processor is—it's not the easiest thing to swap out. If you're like, I'm just going to switch processors, you know—that's not usually something you can just do. <laughs> um, but having a good processor is very important, just because the the amount of complexity what you're doing, like that's probably one of the biggest things of the computer. The last computer I was using before this one, um, I didn't know much about processors and like what was right and what was wrong. And so I think I had a Xeon processor, and I was like, oh, I'll just go for this one. It's more expensive, and that looks like it'll do better. And I read something on some article I was like, yeah, 3D. I didn't realize it was like for rendering. So I didn't realize that oh. there was a difference in terms of like, mm. like actively working on something versus rendering the final thing. And anyway, that was the whole thing. But things that are a little bit more actionable are good amount of RAM is super helpful. That was something that I know at DreamWorks. I, my computer had like 128 gigs of RAM and I used mm. all of it. I have I have that habit of opening a million tabs and 30 different programs and just keeping them all there because I don't know what I'm going to need. Um, right which I couldn't normally do at home. So a RAM upgrade is helpful just to not go crazy with that. But I think also the GPU and NVIDIA, like I've got um, NVIDIA GeForce RTX 2080 Ti currently in this computer, it's magical. And it's everything from like like basic stuff. Like um, there's the NVIDIA RTX voice plugin, which is like a free beta testing thing that they've got out right now, which is like if you're having Zoom calls and you're having all these meetings, and you have car noises, or you hear all the drumming and sounds from your microphone. You can just click this button if you have an RTX GPU, and it just uses AI to filter all that out. And it just hears your mm-hmm. voice. It's incredible. It's that's like a, a regular everyday person useful thing that the tech enables.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, which then goes all the way up to you know much higher quality visuals in your program that you can actually push it further with the frame rates and so on. Yeah. <laughs>
3: so- so I'm super interested because, like, for a lot of people right now, I mean, especially, like, being a workstation manufacturer, like, of course we want to talk about technology and the hardware and all that. But for a lot of people, like, right now, that's not something that's actually feasible, you know, like, making hardware upgrades right now while you can maybe barely make rent, like, isn't, isn't the most feasible thing, you know? So, like, <laughs> what, um, what, t- what, what, like, tips and tricks do you have outside of, like... Upgrade your hardware or something. Do you have for maybe maybe more toward like the workflow side of things um, for people that are um, that are still trying to to make ends meet? I guess um, from like a content creation standpoint right now.
2: Sure. I guess I wish I knew like who in the chat like like what are people up to? What are people doing? I'm not like oh for Maya and everyone's like I don't use Maya. But I think something like for everybody. I mean this one's gonna sound dumb, but like the time management side of it. super important like as a general work from home thing that I had to learn really early on because I've been working from home for maybe three or four years now and so I'm pretty used to it one of the one of the pain points that we recognized early on because my wife and I both work from home is being able to step out like of your workflow like to have when you're in work mode you're in work mode and have that space that you're working in not in your bedroom or not by your couch or your tv like having even if you don't have a large apartment and you don't have like a separate room to use or a house or something um, get like a $150 divider if you can, and just like create an office space for yourself so that you can leave that space, like decompress, get out of work mode and then come back in fresh. Because back when we had, we were in a one bedroom apartment for a while where I had like a living room office, she had like a bedroom office. And that was, a, it was awful because we couldn't turn it off. And I think that's mm-hmm. something a lot of people are experiencing is, you know, they, they're answering emails till 9 PM and they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're constantly plugged in. You need to have some kind of a physical separation to be able to not go crazy yeah
3: i think that's that's something that's kind of just fascinated me um is that like no matter what industry you're in it seems like everyone's kind of experiencing we're like we still have some shared experience here and that everyone's kind of experiencing those issues of of working from home like you run into the same problems no matter what you're doing
2: yeah yeah then another thing another thing that's maybe a little helpful too, is is when you're, I mean, for me, something with my workflow is um, when I'm working on one project, I I mean, I don't know if everyone else, I don't know if everyone else deals with this, but I'm really bad at multi, like personally, I'm terrible at multitasking. Um, I have to set time blocks for myself and only allow myself to look at certain, like I I put my phone like away, because if it comes up and there's like, oh, I need to deal with that. I never, I won't finish the first thing. And that's true Mm -hmm. with my computer too. Like if I'm on my laptop or whatever, I have to have like different desktops for different like mindsets. Like, okay, I'm gonna put my 3D stuff over here. But I'm not putting email on this area, or, mm-hmm. or you know, or maybe on this, or maybe just on my Chrome profile. Like, I'm gonna have a Chrome profile where I'm logged into YouTube and Twitch and Facebook and all my things. And you can make a Chrome profile that's like work mode, and you you don't log in in that profile so that you can just kind of switch quickly back and forth. Ooh. But then when you go to another, like, I'm gonna go to YouTube. Oh, I'm not logged in. What are all these weird videos? I don't want to watch Fortnite stuff. You're less tempted to find your regular routine because you're not logged into your like personal stuff. So it's that same kind of separation, but from a work perspective, it can help you not feel like you're at home. You can kind of go to the office, go into that other mode.
0: I like that. Yeah. yeah, Especially if you only have the one machine where you're trying to do both, where you're trying to work and play on the same, the same thing that that's, that's really clever. I didn't know about that. The Chrome profile thing. That's, that's good to know. Because like yeah, I, I have I have actual separate logins um, on the the laptop that I use for work. Like I do have a like a personal login for some of the stuff that I have to do. You know if, I don't want to have to go off to my PC, but that's nice to know that you can you can kind of change it without having to go through all of that. Yeah. Especially yeah, if you don't. Building really... a. Sec-
1: oh, go ahead. And... Oh no, sorry. You... I was considering building a second computer for that very reason? Because like I sat down and like oh, I see steam just updated something or whatever right
2: huh. i really need to get some programming done but <laughs> I gotta check this update yeah it's hard when you because like i i thought about that too once like oh maybe i should make a different login on my computers when it boots up it goes to but i'm i never remember like how do you install software to work on both or maybe i don't want it to work on the other one and so you still mm-hmm. have all the same temptations of like well all i have to do is click that button and it still launches the program Yep. mm-hmm which I guess works if it's not a Chrome thing. That's actually still maybe do both. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right on. I'm curious. So you do a lot of educational, uh, a lot of educational videos. Um, and I admit that I haven't gotten too deep into the the full breadth of of topic content. Um, but I suppose for some people who might be. Um, just interested where, where would, where would they start if they're going to consume your content, but then also in like kind of a bigger, broader sense, um, since you do have some experience with, you know, working for th- the man, you know, the, the company, the corporate stuff, um, which would you, which do you recommend? Do you like what you do now? Do you, how would you go about that? If you were starting out now, I guess
2: that kind well, of rambled in a weird way. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I guess. So the first part of the question with like, where to start if you were trying to look into this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think YouTube, uh, YouTube in general, my YouTube channel, cause I'm on a bunch of platforms, YouTube and Twitch and things. Um, from like a, a general exploration standpoint, I think YouTube is probably the best place to go. Cause you can kind of look and cherry pick like, oh, like, do I want advice from like industry interviews? Do I wanna watch tutorials straight out the gate? Do I want like more advice centered content of like, oh, like that's an interesting story or experience that might just be useful day to day. That is a little bit easier to kind of find a path, I guess. Um, But then I do a lot of live stuff too. Live three days, I'm basically on Twitch three days a week for four-ish hours minimum each time. And so if you aren't sure where to start, that's a good place to go. And I can just we just chat and hang out, and you know sometimes we'll play games, but a lot of times it's like okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna work for four hours come watch the workflow. It's literally me doing my workflow for Mm -hmm. hours on end. So that can be a good way to kind of figure out, like I'm having an issue with this and you can kind of get support. Um, But to your your other question on like, I guess if someone were trying to get into this, um, I I do like doing the independent stuff. Um, I did like the studio too. You know, it's definitely not for everybody to go full-time content creation because not everybody enjoys making, like you have to, do it all you have to come up with the idea and then record it and then edit it and then do the business side of like then like seo and tags and do the thumbnail and i hate the thumbnail like there's so many pieces (laughs) to it and you don't you don't always enjoy them all um where at a job you know you get hired in a role with certain responsibilities that hopefully align with what you want and then Mm -hmm. you know you can grow and move from there but it's definitely something that i would recommend people try like if you're doing something now give it a shot see if there's something you want to share something you want to make and then try doing it for a while and it might also just lead to other cool opportunities for the full-time job stuff like i've had a lot of job offers of people who are like we see your videos we need that too like would you make videos for us i'm like in most cases i'm like well i i have to have time to do mine so no but <laughs> <laughs> thank you
0: <laughs> that's that's interesting way of putting it i hadn't thought of it that way um we're like almost almost like yeah, I suppose just creating your own stuff could could lead to opportunities in that way.
2: Yeah, most that's pretty cool. I don't do I didn't do a ton of freelance work when I left the studio, but that was one of my goals. Was like, I want to try freelance, and I never really found a great way to like. Oh, this is where you go to get clients. Ah, that was always tricky. But I got some from word of mouth friends who work freelance, and they would, you know, that that was probably my main thing. But all the other interesting ones mostly came because I was making YouTube content because I was. <laughs> You know, building legacy and showing people how to do cool stuff so that they could go make things. And how'd you learn that? Oh, this guy. And so I kind of had this referral platform to people coming back and going, oh, he knows what he's talking about. Are you, are you open for commissions or, or whatever? So it's actually a good way to get freelance clients is to make content.
3: So I'm super interested in, uh, in your perspective, because we've kind of talked about this a little bit, uh, internally, and we've had a couple other conversations about this. Um, that like right now in in a time when we can't like go out to to film sets and like we can't bring people together, uh, a lot of people have been kind of speculating as to whether or not um, a, a lot of like mainstream content is going to go toward things like animation, um, just because of the fact that you know you don't need to bring all the same people together that you that you normally would for like a traditional film. Um, are you are you seeing that or or do you have any thoughts on that?
2: I, I think. I think I'm seeing that in the way that like a lot of people are trying animation for the first time that they wouldn't have before. Um, I think a lot of content creators are just just, in general, I think the studios are also aware, like Netflix and things like animation was already something that everybody liked and everybody wanted to watch and there already wasn't enough being made to keep up with the demand before this whole thing happened. Now that that's the only option for most people to create, I think we're seeing you know, the demand was already there, and now the desire to meet the demand is finally starting to match it, or not match it, but it's coming up as well. So I do think it's gonna create a lot of opportunities for people, you know, to learn stuff, to try stuff, and to find new opportunities by doing it if they if they want to. Hmm. I think, did that answer your question? I kind of forgot what your question was.
3: Yeah, I think so. But <laughs> so. well, It was mostly just whether or not, like, you think that we're actually going to see more, more animation-style content uh, oh, popping yes. up yeah <laughs> uh, yeah yeah one of, one of the examples that we had brought up like the the last time we or one of the last times we had one of these was like you, they started doing those uh, like Disney started doing those little like Olaf videos at home you know so like it was just a, a, like a handful of people that were creating those but then next thing you know you started seeing you know after they got like 12 of those in like all of a sudden there's like this huge list of people that are involved in them so they're definitely throwing more resources at it. Um, but I'm also curious, like if if you have any idea of like, what does that, um, like as, as an animator, like, what does that workflow even look like to get that many people, that many different people like involved remotely on something as, because the, 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 um, the quality of the content actually doesn't look like it was compromised very much. Um, so I'm kind of curious if you have any thoughts as well on like, how does, how does that workflow even work with all these people remotely?
2: with so much planning. <laughs> okay. I mean, something that not a lot of people know about the animation industry is that you have like production and you have overhead at a studio where you have like overhead is, you know, your your HR and finance and you know, recruiting and things like that that keep the business running. And then you have the production side, which is what makes the stuff. But even within that there's still a separation where there's the artists making the stuff, which everyone knows about. And then there's the production team, coordinators, PAs, producers, like that that category of worker they are like and i'm still a little fuzzy on like entirely all they do so i hope i don't do a disservice but they support that production by making sure like oh this person's gonna be sick this person's not here today blah blah blah. we need to rearrange schedules timelines this is how much needs to get done by this this day this week this is when our deadlines are when we're showing they have all that information and like manage it all in these moving pieces and they just they're like the invisible unsug heroes behind the production so when it comes to like working from home i imagine they're they're the ones probably just like cool what can you get done like with your computer like what can you okay like you don't have a laptop let's get you sent to a laptop like whatever it is they need to do to figure out like like ah you have kids you may not be able to focus for quite as many hours on end as this person who's you know single and 24. so uh let's let's take some of your workflow and and give you the ones that you can do and then let's do this and i imagine there's a lot of that and then overall just like the pipeline part of it just making sure that like software compatibility and and file sharing. I know there's some platforms like Artella. It's uh, that's that's what I know of. It's it's this really cool like it handles all the file stuff. So there's revisions, and you check in and check out files from this this cloud database. Where like, oh, I need this rig, and so you kind of check out the rig, and you instance it in, and then you can work with it. And then it's all still living in the studio bubble. And I don't I don't think dis I don't know if they use that, but that's you know that that concept of cloud. I have to imagine pipeline. they at least do
3: something simpler. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> That's, I mean, that's paramount. <laughs> One person's Damn. computer crashes and they had all the files of so like Toy Story 2. <laughs> wow. That happened at Toy Story 2. Oh, yeah, they heard about the that. Movie. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. And they, they, but there was some older backup that they found, right? It, it was, they
2: didn't have to really redo sort of. the whole thing. Yeah. It was crazy. It, so it, they run on Linux, and so someone, they didn't have permissions set up properly back then. And so Toy Story 2 was on this drive, and someone did RM Star, which is remove all. And it wasn't intentional, but someone accidentally deleted everything. And so they're just watching everything just disappear. And they're like, oh, well, we have backups. Backups had failed for the last several weeks. They had nothing. And they were just panicking because the movie's due in like two months. And that would have taken like a year plus to recreate. But I think the the TD on the film, someone, she was a new mom and she had arranged something where she had basically copied the movie to her home office so she could work from home to be with her, to be with the new baby and so she had a copy so they went and got it they brought it back and it all they, they were able to copy it back over but it was the work from home that saved the day. Wow. For Toy Story 2. Or we wouldn't have had a movie.
0: <sighs> That's nuts. And and it's just every time every time I talk with 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 people I I realize that the work is way more complicated than you think than than the average consumer thinks. It it looks it, you know the finished product and and every every i'm sure this applies to a lot of different industries but like the finished product you're always like oh i could probably do that and and then getting getting more and more inside behind the curtain and stuff it's just like no it it takes it takes so much time so much and in in a lot of cases it's so many so many people Mm -hmm. to to make it like you were saying there's there's probably half a dozen people just just to organize the project timeline like who's gonna do what and when and for and how much can they handle? Who's and then like there's probably a whole person's job just equipment. Like who has what and what can they do with that? Yeah, like, it's just it's mind-boggling. It's I mean wow. And then to the other side of that too is to see like what one person is capable of, a lot of times and how much more they're able to do as as things have progressed. Like it's so cool. I don't, it's it's always a bit of a awe-inspiring to me.
1: Yeah, I've always found it amazing that all these software vendors keep coming with better tools that make things faster and you can do more and stuff. But at the same time, the size of studios keeps growing and growing. Like They keep putting more people, even though each person can do more things. And then they have satellite studios that are also contributing things. And it's... They just keep
2: finding new ways to use whatever resources you do have. I, heard, I read this interesting thing or heard it a few years back that Toy Story 1, the first ever CG movie, you know, whatever the number was, it was like, oh, it took this long to render this one frame. And it was a really long time. Like, it took them forever to render a frame because they didn't really have the technology for it back then. It was brand new. And if you compare that to Toy Story 3, like, how long did it take them to render one whole frame was the same amount of time, mm-hmm. which is weird because it's like, wait... Things were way faster, but they put so much more in there that they still pushed it to the point that it was taking forever. Yeah, I think it's exactly what you're talking about. Like, yeah. push.
1: I remember when I was at a game studio, and um, this was just before the Xbox One came out. That one of the technologists said, like, something along the lines of, "I'm not sure why um, they need to increase how many polygons you have because you'll just." You can just do it with a normal map or something like that. And it's like, no, if you give me more polygons, I will find a way to use more polygons. Like, <laughs> and just like you give an artist tools, you give them better tools, they'll just find new ways to use
2: those tools. Like, it's just the way it is. You give a mouse a cookie, right? Yeah. They'll break it. You need to make a new cookie. <laughs> Let's
0: see. So we did have we did have a few questions from the chat. If you're uh, that that um, if you're willing, if you might provide a bit of insight. Um, let's see. Some of it, I think, some of it's been kind of covered. It's a little bit more hardware related. Um, oh, here's a good one. What type of systems did those animators work on at the bigger studios? In your experience, I suppose. Um, and then it, it, they were commenting. It's weird to hear that they melted
2: some motherboards. <laughs> It's, I was actually shocked at like, when I got to the studio, I think, oh everything's gonna be amazing and perfect and nothing ever goes wrong. I'm like, oh, that's not true at all. That's just, you know, that's life. That's creative software, yeah. like things crash, and, um You should do the best you can. The, 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 uh, the hardware that I remember having, let's see, we definitely, they worked on Linux. Um, Pixar and DreamWorks both live, work on Linux. I've only worked at DreamWorks, but I just happen to know. Both work on Linux. I'm not sure about Disney, but I know that they have a ton of RAM because they right. load in so much stuff. Um, some probably like 128 gigs of RAM, 64 minimum, but 128 I think is standard. Um, the processors, I don't remember exactly what processors, but I know graphics card, at least at DreamWorks when I was there. They had the Nvidia Quattro K6000, really okay. top one. Um, they had that in all the animators computers. It's weird at the studio that, it's, it's hard to remember exactly the specs because we had a really weird way of Classifying machines, they had okay. categories like the name of my computer. Like if I had to call tech support, I'd be like, "Oh, hey, like I need you know the software installed on my computer." I couldn't install software myself because security. Right. So you call the team that handles the tech for the studio, and uh, say, "Oh, I need this." Great, what's your what's your computer name? And they could like remote in and push stuff to it, and I'd be like, "Oh, it's X gray color or or lime book or something." It was always a first half and a last half, and the first half was like gray or x gray or red or x red or lime or x lime it was like a color sort of thing and that classified the power level of the computer so like animators always had whatever the most powerful one affects artists like they you could always say oh yeah like animators are supposed to have x limes now and that meant like oh that means you get this list of specs because they were all standardized oh that's interesting yeah and then the second half was just the identifier like oh i'm on x lime book x line statue whatever it was random but um yeah, they had it kind of broken out so that you knew, like, oh, that's an X line. Oh, that means that's gonna handle this. And so they had this organization system that I thought was really. Interesting. That's why I'm having a hard time remembering, like, what was what? Because I had an X lime after a while. It was X-ray the next line? And...
3: I'm curious. Was that <laughs> was that purely was that purely defined off of uh, of like hardware specs, or was there any kind of like validation done internally to say, like, okay, well, we know that this type of hardware is the best for this specific use case so we need to make sure that they have that or was it purely like well this has this number of cores or something so we're going to classify it this way
2: you know i think it was really just hardware um they didn't i don't to my knowledge they didn't have like a testing process like i know puget has you guys do a lot of tests and figure out like this is the best one for this i don't think they did anything like that they didn't have like testing labs where they were running gpus versus other options um I know that DreamWorks was part, I mean, I don't know if this is still true with their universal buyout a few years back, but I know they were partnered with HP. So HP would always supply them with like new stuff, um, which is why I, my first computer that I bought for myself was like, oh, I'm just gonna buy an HP based on, and I picked the wrong <laughs> stuff because I didn't know because they didn't have any of that information. So, um, but to my knowledge, no, they, they, I think they just went with whatever the manufacturer was like, this one, okay. Mm. Not although, I should say that the, uh, the VR, the mixed reality VR AR team, they have a motion capture stage below the artist building of DreamWorks, like underground, it's really cool. Uh, um, they would do a lot of testing. That team was really on it. They were, they were pushing stuff. They were the ones who were like, oh yeah, we just got, to, got these crazy Nvidia cards and we just got this, like they were building their computers and doing all the custom stuff where they were saying, this isn't working great for VR and motion capture. Let's do this instead. Um, they were the main ones I think exploring, which has made sense because they were exploring the newest technologies. Mm-hmm. Sure. That's cool. Right on. Um, we do have one, another
0: question from the chat, a little more uh, industry, I suppose, related is, um, how long did it take you to get your first job in the industry once you graduated?
2: I was very fortunate. Uh, this is not normal, what I'm about to tell you. So heads up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I went to school for computer science and I dropped out of regular school to do, do animation school. So I figured out very early on what I wanted to do and I was very sure of it. And so I made a huge shift and took an 18 month program at Animation Mentor. And because of my other job history, like I had started my own business as a Microsoft Office, like trainer, instructor for Chambers of Commerce. Like I had this whole, all these things that lined up really perfectly so that when I finished Animation Mentor, it was the day that I finished school, I got hired at DreamWorks as a trainer. So it was literally the same day, but that's not like a normal thing. Um, It varies for most people, but for me, and, and that's to say also, I got hired as a trainer not as an animator my goal was animator so i got into the industry got my foot in the door and i learned a lot met a lot of people and that helped a ton and then i kind of shifted gears and went content so um in that sense if you're like an animation job i still haven't had one at a studio um but i know people who have you know they finish school and then six months later they get a job and i know most people especially when you go to a school that's not really like optimized for animation if you just go to a regular college that has an animation degree often Mm -hmm. not really mapped to the industry very well and as kelly was mentioning Mm -hmm. um and uh those people you know sometimes they take extra classes or things and hope to get in in a year or two and some i know a guy who's been doing it for 10 years you know and uh it's just perseverance and it just it varies based on you know opportunity and how much you put into it and a bunch of other things yeah okay yeah do you have any uh,
3: do you have any like advice around that like what's the what's the best thing you can do for yourself if you're trying to get into the industry
2: give yourself every opportunity like don't close any doors on yourself if you can help it um like keep your options open as far as like if it's like like I'm trying to think of a good example but i guess uh you know network use social media to your advantage if you can make stuff put it out don't hold on to it and go ah, it's not ready to share no put it out you'll get feedback you'll get notes and you'll learn faster And people will see your progression and see that you're capable of doing more than you're doing now. Um, Recruiters and people who help make those hiring decisions, they are like, their job is to see the potential in people, even if you're not quite there yet. So they can look at a demo reel and, you know, they can see your work and go, ooh, we can see like where you're lacking and where your strengths are. And then maybe you're not ready to be hired yet, but they'll keep that in mind. And if you make a connection and you network and you give yourself that opportunity um, and be memorable to the point that, Next time you apply, it's not just talk. When it's like, "We'll keep your application around and we'll look." Like, that's not just talk. They actually do hang on to that. And go, hey, didn't that person apply before? I recognize that name. You'd be ch- shocked at how like how well these recruiters re- remember people. I can't even comprehend it sometimes. But they will look at a real a year later and go, "This person applied before. Oh wow!" in one year, this is what. Wow, that's a big change. They may not ready just yet, but you know, if we if we hire them and help them grow their learning potential is clearly like they could probably do it. Let's give them a chance. Let's give them a shot. Let's hire them. Let's bring them in as an intern. That process happens all the time. And so if you don't put your work out there, you're like, it's not ready. You don't get that contrast. I've heard that. I've heard that a lot from content creators is like, um, even,
0: even if you think it's bad, like you should still put it out there because it, you're almost saying no for the audience already. Or, or like you're, you're, you're kind of selling yourself short. You're not like, you you hear it's like the cliche it's like you're you are your own worst critic and and so you're always going to look at that and be like oh this is trash but somebody out there is probably going to be like that's amazing and sometimes um i feel like sometimes that that kind of external um input that and a lot of times the the fans almost are like they'll push you to to drive and, and be better um so yeah that's that's a big, I've always liked that that bit of advice from a lot of different content creators. is like, just put it out there, Like it's okay. Like, there are gonna be people out there who appreciate for what it is and, and to see the progression too.
2: That's, yeah. that's always cool. And the other thing with that, I agree 100%. And the thing I think that people still like, when they hear that and they don't listen to that advice is usually the thought is, I'm just gonna, okay, cool. I'm gonna play it safe. I'm gonna wait until I don't feel that way anymore before I take that advice something I discovered that I was shocked but it makes so much sense now is like even the most who we would consider the most amazing artists and creators and animators or whoever they are even those people still look at their work and go oh that's crap even though we're like it's in the movie it's it's the coolest (laughs) shot in the movie what do you mean it's crap like yeah I'm not really happy about this and that that never goes away which is you know kind of a bummer from a creative standpoint you'll always kind of feel inferior in some ways but that's growth like that's that means you're getting better and you can see the flaws and so don't wait until that feeling goes away because you'll never post anything ever (laughs) right right
1: Yeah, there's one guy i follow on twitter that he he makes like this most amazing art that he posts like constantly he just makes stuff left and right and um he is the art director at a game studio owned by google and he always talks about how he hates his artwork it's like He's made it to art director. So he's been doing this forever and he still doesn't like it. Like, I don't know. <laughs> you just, that's the kind of the curse of the the artist, I guess. Always going to hate your own
3: stuff, no matter what. The struggle.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
3: I mean, maybe so, what you guys were just talking about kind of answers, answers the same, maybe answers this in the same way. But like, I'm, I'm curious if you, if you have any advice for, for say the people that um, like the freelancers and stuff who, who are currently like a lot of freelancers are struggling for work and all that, you know? Um, so I'm curious if you have any advice for those people or if it's the same thing of like, just create and put it out there.
2: That's definitely a big part of it. Um, I, I mean, not to be pluggy, but I do have a video <laughs> on like five tips for freelance. Most of them are like contracts and stuff. Like if you're new to freelance, you should watch that video. Um, but like. Especially with everything going on right now, I feel like things like uh, like animation, things that don't require involvement of other people in person. If you can learn some of those skills and apply them in an interesting way, and then show people, like you know, there may be a, a client out there that doesn't know they need animation or doesn't think that they really that it fits. But if you can create something that shows, like, oh, this is what you could do. This like this is what I could make you, and this is how it's actually useful right now you might show them, like, oh, actually, we, we do want that. How much does that cost? Anime? I don't know. And then you kind of get into that thing of, like, on one hand, what on earth do you charge? And on the other hand, they don't know what you're supposed to charge for that. So, you know, <laughs> good luck. Right? <laughs> it's a very abstract thing.
0: Yeah. So I, I've, I'm personally curious, but it also came up in chat. Um, over your left shoulder, uh, it looks like a mashup of of Calvin and Hobbes and How to Train Your Dragon. Yes. Yeah. Uh, is, that, is that from Brian Kissinger? Is that the, is the, I, I I follow somebody on Instagram personally, and, and they, they do mashups like
2: that a lot. I think I also follow him, but no, I think Peter something. Peter something. Oh. He worked at DreamWorks. It was from uh, DreamWorks used to do this art convention thing. It was kinda of like DreamCon. I mean it was called DreamCon. It was kind of like Comic Con where like people would bring all their like side projects and stuff and then sell up prints and things.
0: Oh okay. I just i, I noticed I I just noticed and I thought that was really cute. And somebody had asked in, in the chat as well. And so I wanted to I wanted to kind of get that out there. For
2: sure. That's pretty cool. Um, I wish is... I could show all my background things. I have a whole shelf of like Here, let me get my Shrek statue. Oh Shrek. When you're at DreamWorks for one year, you get this. Oh cool. One year statue. When you get five years, five years is Madagascar, it's Alex the Lion on a box with five and then Kung Fu Panda, it's ten, and he does this, so it's like one zero. So they all have these poses of like the the years. Dreamworks has only existed for like twenty-three years. So I think they just did a twenty or twenty-five year one for how to train your dragon.
0: So wow. Oh that's that's super cool. I love that kind of a thing. <laughs> Let's see. Let's see. Do anything else love what you guys do
2: at Puget Systems? Aw, thanks. Oh that's Nate. <laughs> Nate. Oh, I see um, a lot of familiar names. Yeah.
0: Uh oh, I guess uh, here's an interesting one. Are they rendering in real time these days? I would I would think not, right? Like
2: For the movies, no. For games, I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff. There's so much cool real-time stuff happening that the studios are exploring. In my experience, I know a lot of people are, like, at the studios, they're doing things that are doing real-time stuff, but the actual movies are not currently being done real-time. A lot of that's because they need compositing. They need to be able to kind of add stuff, change things, and Mm -hmm. make multiple versions of stuff. Um, And so, and, like, DreamWorks just built their own renderer. Back when I was leaving, they had just built... A brand new ray tracing renderer because they were using this. I mean, fun fact about DreamWorks: every movie, every single animated movie in 3D up until Home, up until Home in 2014, everything before that point was animated in a spreadsheet. And when you when you think like animated like how does that work? Yeah. I mean, literally one software to view your 3D scene, a different software that looks like Excel. It's got a list of like left brow middle, which is this left brow outer, left brow inner, like a row per control, a column per frame, and you type a value and say, mouth open 50, hit enter, wait, too much, 18. Every control in a spreadsheet for years. No way. Until they built their own <laughs> proprietary animation tool wow. and their renderer was equally as bad. And so they built their own. one. <laughs>
0: still that's a that's crazy to to think it was it was that i guess manual like it's not just like oh i can grab this little square and tweak it over here and then see the difference between the keyframes or something it's mm-hmm. like you're you're literally editing those values manually that's that's insane
1: well in wow. maya you can there's a setting to save your your whole file as ascii characters and so you can go in and, and open in your entire file in text editor and go change stuff or whatever like once you get into that high level of animation people are they live on this other plane of existence where
0: it's, right yeah, i don't even I don't know see how the they code, do it
1: yeah right? <laughs> that's, i just feel that's... like there's some guy that just he's doing everything at pixar in text editor and notepad it's
0: yeah, just just <laughs> comma delimited yeah values just that's cr- see, and but, it's that's it's that kind of thing. People don't realize that that's that's how these v- movies were made. Like in my uh, head, I had always pictured it was like almost like a digital claymation, you know, mm-hmm. where like you have a three D model and you can and you can tweak and move and adjust like a skeleton. And I've seen that in newer stuff, like with that rigging and things. But to to hear that, nope, we we moved each little individual like section. Like that is just mind-blowing
2: it's crazy well, like, that was cutting edge when that when they developed that software that was a big deal everyone was like that's incredible that you can do that blah, blah, blah. and obviously as soon as yeah the, the posing stuff came around that was they needed to upgrade that for a long time <laughs> well like um
1: i think toy story i had it in one of my presentations once was the first um animated movie that had during production had an undo feature like, before then, if you did something, you couldn't undo. Like, you just had to, I, I don't know how you would function without undo. Yes, <laughs> the that's a world I don't want to live in. That's
0: amazing. That's,
1: and, like, that's... that's not all that long ago. And that was after, like, Jurassic Park. So, like, right. Jurassic Park was wow. made without being able to undo an animation. Like, that just <laughs> seems terrifying.
0: Yeah. Oh god! (laughs) Especially when you think of like the scope of the that one scene, that very first scene with the with the the brachiosaurs and all that stuff with the lake and everything. That that's all Mm -hmm. that's all digital, and so to think that they they were just almost rolling the dice. Like, okay, let's hope that this leg moves correctly. Otherwise, I have to go back and write that down and change it back. And that's crazy. That's amazing. Just and wow just wow wow <laughs> people are like yeah man I love having the undo feature well, yeah. who would want to live without control z <laughs> that's crazy wow ah, my yeah. life is control z
2: <laughs> right. undo undo uh wow true, true story once in college I was like I was like I need to get better at drawing I like took a sketchbook out and I was drawing and I, I like walked somewhere I was drawing some building and I got like, you know, 40 minutes just into this drawing session. I'm like, I haven't saved. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, good. folks have an auto save feature. Yeah, that's, sounds,
2: that's
0: nice. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Right on. Um, let's see. Uh, there was mention of the, the spreadsheet thing the same as Presto. I'm not, that's a, that's a new one to me. Isn't,
2: isn't the spreadsheet thing the same as Presto? Oh, so Presto is, um, Pixar's proprietary animation software. Mm. And uh, so no, um, the spreadsheet thing is basically, it's an old DreamWorks software called Emo, stands for emotion. But my joke was always that it would make you emo because it makes you sad. Mm. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, so, uh, DreamWorks then developed Primo, which is, stands for premonition. It was, it, it was so they could use the resources of their crazy computers and all the power to basically cache everything in real time so you are always getting 24 fps and so that was their premonition feature that's 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 the new tool dreamers using now and it's like amazing and then presto is similar to that into what pixar uses and both softwares have an element of the spreadsheet stuff where you have like your timeline and the values and the graphs so you can still edit things in that way and so there is that similarity but it's it's a much more intuitive and user-friendly experience all around ah that's, not, that's nice. Because <laughs> like Kelly said, that data still exists as text. You could still mess with it if you wanted to, but I don't know who would want to.
0: Right. Whoa. Quality of life improvements are a good thing. Yes. Like, <laughs> well, um, let's see. It looks like we're right about at our hour. So um, is there anything else you'd like to, to mention or any any other questions from you guys, Eric or, or Kelly? <laughs> anything
3: this is your opportunity to shamelessly plug yourself right here.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, sure. Um, first of all, thank you everyone to, for coming and thanks to you guys at Puget for having me. This is fun. Oh, thanks all for all these stopping things. by. This was great. And uh, I guess for, for anybody else, if you have other questions that like you were hoping I'd answer or you know, anything that comes up later, um, I think I'm live, to, what's today? Wednesday? I'm live tomorrow on Twitch. I'm live three days a week on Twitch, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Um, and then I'm on YouTube. That's my main thing. I also have a Discord server. Basically all my stuff is all linked if you find me on like my Instagram bio. Like everything is all connected. If you go to a YouTube video, all the links are there. You go to Twitch, they're all there. Um, but uh, you know, the Discord server is a really good resource. If anyone's getting into this kind of stuff or you have tech questions or you have, you know, questions about anything really. But we have a Discord server with a bunch of artists who are there answering questions. So if I'm not available, there's three thousand other people there to help troubleshoot stuff or talk about stuff or give you feedback on your work if you're trying to work on a demo reel or things like that. All right. So I might I'm have gonna...
1: to invade that to ask questions on to my benchmarks.
2: <laughs> you'll get you'll get a lot of uh, varied answers, I'm sure. We have a lot of softwares in there. Like,
1: how do I break this computer the most? Yeah. <laughs>
2: so, I, which I'm, I'm
0: glad you i glad you mentioned that because there was somebody um, who who was having trouble with their demo reel and wanted to know the best way to send it to you to receive criticism. Um, so I suppose Discord might be the best place. That way if not you, someone else might be
2: able to help them. Yes, because I, I do have um, I do animation tutoring, and that's the only way that I, because I get so many people asking me to look at their demo reel, so the way I do it is through <laughs> Patreon to help support the content. I do animation tutoring and critiques and reviews, but if it's not me you need, or if you don't have a budget for that, no worries. Discord is there for that exact reason so that you have a place to go and get your critique if you don't have that network on your own. That's cool. Awesome. cool. Awesome, thank you, thank you
0: right on and uh so and then i spammed your your main web page in the in the chats too so I'm, i imagine everybody can find the appropriate places to go from there and uh so right on well thank you thank you so much for for taking the time out and, and joining us today i'm sorry i was a little unplugged from some of that trying to fix the technical issues but um thank you to my co-workers and compatriots for helping keeping things going <laughs> <And> then, um <laughs> so cool i need to i need to get that <laughs> um, well yeah again thank you in the next week here yeah, for sure. Yeah, a little, <laughs> little soundboard. Um, but yeah, thank you guys. Thank you. And thank you again to the audience as well. Um, we do this every Wednesday for, for industry expert Q&A. Um, we call it Workflow Wednesdays. And then Fridays, we uh, we have um, our labs team come on for just, again, kind of QA stuff. We'll get a little bit of insight into what they do and uh, kind of just advice and help in that sense as well. Uh, both days, Wednesdays and Fridays, start at 1 p.m. on uh, all of our various channels, YouTube, Twitch, Twitch. Uh, I think it's also going out on Periscope and our Facebook as well. So um, thanks, everybody. And uh, we'll see you all on Friday.
3: Thanks. Bye. Thanks, guys.
0: And...